I kind of always tried to keep positive about it. And, and it's now been four and a half years. And I still have spoken to them. Four and a half years. Yeah. You're listening to the Nacho Kids podcast, where we discuss all things step family related, real stories, real people, real help. Your hosts are the creators of the Nacho Kids Method and the Nacho Kids Academy Step Family Coaching Team, Lori and David Sims. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to episode 166 of the Nacho Kids Podcast. That's right. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Good day. (laughs) Covered them all. (laughs) Before we talk about our guest today, I do have another blended family issue that needs to be discussed. So David has this press thing. What's it called, David? Um, a press. <laughs> a press. Okay. So David has a press, and Jackson was in the building working on a four-wheeler or whatever he's doing. And David mentioned something about the press, and Jackson said, I can't get it to work. It doesn't work. So David says, Oh, so you broke it, and Jackson's, it just doesn't work. So anyway, here I am (laughs) thinking, okay, my son broke something of David's, and I need to talk to Jackson. So I asked Jackson about it. He's like, I've never really got it to work at all. It's not strong enough for whatever I need. And, of course, David thinks Jackson broke it. Well, he said it didn't work. Right. There's a big difference between it doesn't work versus it doesn't work for my needs. Well, but he didn't say I broke it. That's why I asked him. He never gave me a clear response, which even furthered my suspicion that he broke it. And I know it was working previously because I used it. So I, when I said something, actually, he said something to me. He's like, that press over there doesn't work. I'm like, it worked when I used it last. So did you break it? He's like, he never responded to, did you break it? <laughs> he went on this other tangent. <laughs> so that led me to believe he possibly messed it up because he's not, he's running around the question. He's 17, David. Oh, my <laughs> Lord. Y'all about to see me lose my mind <laughs> up in here. <laughs> so, <laughs> what that does is puts sweet little Lori in the middle. Is that what it does? Yes. Because my son's saying it never worked. You're thinking he broke it. So, I'm thinking I need to replace it, right? That's the way to fix the problem. No, because the problem is he broke it. It's not the problem is that it's broke. It's that he broke it. And you should do something about that. (laughs) Well, the other thing is I could tell Jackson, don't ever touch anything. I like that. That's David's. I like that. Let's do that. No. (laughs) So as a bio parent, I feel I need to fix this. But we don't know if there's anything to fix because I never got a clear answer as to whether or not it's broken. And you never went to try to see if it worked. No, I didn't. Right. So, until you do that, David. Oh, so now it's on me. Yes. 
See, I put it on him to tell me, is it broken or not? And he says it never worked for him. So that does, he means, no, I didn't break it. It just never worked for me. Okay. Not necessarily. Because Do you not understand teenage language, David? If, if in the process of his first use of said item, it breaks, he could say, it never worked for me. Meaning, when I did try to use it, I broke it. Therefore, it never worked for me. <laughs> I don't even know how you would break a press. I don't either, which is why I asked. Did you break it? And then commencing the five-minute runaround to the question... Most people would say, if you're avoiding the answer or avoiding the question, you probably did it. Okay. Well, how long would it take you Mm -hmm. to see if it works? I'm having so much fun with this. I'm not going to test it. I'm just going to keep saying he broke it. See, (laughs) y'all, this is what happens. (laughs) And is it because David is a button pusher? Maybe. (laughs) But this also happens with non-button pushers. Does it? Yes, because they want to prove that sweet little Johnny is not perfect and he broke something that wasn't his. Ah. So they would rather not take the two minutes to see if it's really broken and instead complain incessantly about it for the next seven years. Wow. I'm glad I don't do that. (laughs) So just another blended family struggle that we all face. I don't face it. So what is Lori going to do? You can go check it yourself. No, I don't know how to use it. <laughs> and I'm not going to YouTube how to use it because I don't really care that much. But okay. have Jackson go do it and video it and come show me. No, I'm not going to say anything else about it. And I'm going to talk to my sweet little baby boy. And I'm going to tell him if you bring it up again for him to say, David, why don't you see if it works for you? Oh, so you're going to make him sass mouth me. No, no, no. That's not sass mouthing. <laughs> so that is how this is going to be handled. No, and see, the, you're missing the whole, the whole point, though. No, you're missing the whole point, David. So the whole point is you need to teach Jackson how to properly respond to a question. Why don't you teach him? Because I think he responded fine. <laughs> You don't know how he responded because you weren't there. Well, just because he didn't respond the way you think he should doesn't mean it's wrong. (laughs) Yes, it does. (laughs) All he has to respond with is, no, I didn't break it. Yes, I did break it. Instead. And he said his response clearly could be translated to, no, I didn't break it. Use your context clues, David. Did you learn about that in school? Did, were you there for the response? No. But I, I know my baby boy. <laughs> well, then you should know that I'm right because he drives you crazy with how he responds to stuff, too. No, that's a motherly love. Oh, is that what that is? Yeah. That's a motherly love. I'm going to remind you of that next time he says something, (laughs) which will be today. (laughs) I'm just going to look at you and go, how's that love treating you? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, (laughs) enough about. But wait a minute, wait a minute. Whoa, whoa, whoa. While we're talking about Jackson, though. I knew this was coming. (laughs) While we're talking about Jackson. Let's talk about 
let's still talk about how my interaction with Jackson is because honestly, it's perfectly fine. The whole press thing, hmm, whatever. I asked him if he broke it. He didn't really respond one way or the other. I'll check it at some point. If it's broke, we'll deal with it. If it's not, whatever. But David, I, we've already been talking way too long. We but, need to get into it. Um, no, no, no. No, no. But let's let's save this for the end. But uh, what do you do when <laughs> you're the actual bio parent and you say to your sweet kid, sweet kid, that's perfect in every way, make sure that you don't ride that mini bike that I that you just had your girlfriend's leg burnt on and she had to be life flighted. And to she a burn did not. Center. She did not stop. <laughs> <laughs> so do not ride said mini bike anymore until I tell you otherwise. Until the muffler's fixed. Until the muffler's fixed. Or exhaust pipe, whatever the crap it is. And oh, by the way, the blowtorch that you borrowed from your grandfather, do not use that unless David is with you. And within the same one hour period of time, Said blowtorch was used without my presence. And shortly after, said mini bike was driven. <laughs> well, wait a minute. The mini bike was driven to go get the blowtorch. Exactly. So he violated both of your ordinances back to back. Well, and, I, and when I look at your face, all I see is motherly love. That's right. <laughs> because. <laughs> Y'all, I was laughing. I was laughing so hard at her. And well, you, you've got to set the uh, scene. Oh, okay. we're we're pulling back up. We're pulling from in the driveway, and here comes Jackson headed toward us on that mini and bike. He got busted, and he, that look on his face was not. It wasn't like oh crap. It was more like <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Was smiling like a Chester cat, like, oh, you got me. <laughs> okay. Well, but I got a secret for you. That was the second time he drove it that day in violation of your ordinance. <laughs> I know. I know. But I'm not telling on him because I don't do that. I'm quite aware. But anyway, my question to you at that point in time in the story <sighs> was Lori, please explain to me how it feels right now to know that you are. Ineffective as a parent. <laughs> and her response was, don't talk to me, David Sims. <laughs> yes. So just for clarification. <laughs> There's no clarification. Jackson, quote, quote, knew how to ride the mini bike with the muffler, all wonky. To where he wouldn't get burned, according to him. <laughs> so he thought I was kidding. Oh, that's how you get out of it. Yep, that's what he said. And then the blowtorch. What are you yes, make there's up? a long pause. <laughs> I was gonna say, what are you gonna make up for this one? No, I'm not making it up, but he said he didn't hear me. <laughs> <laughs> Which, which do y'all see a pattern, y'all? Which, <laughs> hang on, David, stop interrupting me. <laughs> do I feel like he didn't hear me? 
I think he wasn't listening. I can't argue with that point because. <laughs> well, David, you do the same thing. Because shortly and it's frustrating I, because I'll get to the point. I'm like, why do I even say anything to you? You don't listen. All right, I'm trying to defend your son here. Oh, okay, go ahead. So, <laughs> I do think that's a valid point, even though it is funny that he goes, "I didn't hear you," and you're like, "We had a conversation about this 30 minutes ago. How did you not hear me?" Yeah, face to face. Right. I would, I would say that's complete crap, but. Not long after that, there are three cups of ice cream in the refrigerator. And Jackson <laughs> says, which one's mine? And Lori says, the one on either end you can have because they're the same. One of those is mine. But Davis is in the middle. And he comes, he goes to the refrigerator. He grabs the ice cream, comes back in, and he goes, which one is this? <laughs> And you're like, well, which one did you get? And he's like, I don't know. I got the one on the end. You said the one in the middle was yours. And she goes, no, I didn't. I said it was David's. <laughs> he said the I, that I said the one in the middle was his. Oh, okay. So my point being that in less than 30 seconds, he already didn't hear or understand what you told him. With that being said, we're going to work on baby boys listening skills. There you go. Now you're addressing the problem. So I'm going to have him repeat to me what I say. <laughs> it's probably not a bad idea. I, I've said this with you. I need to record things I say to both of you mm -hmm. because neither one of you listen. And like I said, it's to the point that I'm like, why do I even talk? I'm not going to say nothing to nobody because nobody you, listens. I've asked you that too. Why, why are you talking? David. <laughs> Because, because I will tell you something, and then five minutes later, you're, you'll say the same thing. And I'm like, I already said that. I just said that. Well, there's a few reasons for that. One is often you're because talking. Because of the Charlie Brown translation. You hear. Wah, 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 wah. Often you're talking to other people when, like, for example, me and Jackson will be in the same room, and you start talking without saying who you're talking to. And so neither one of us are listening because we don't know who you're talking to. <laughs> Matter of fact, you could be talking to the dogs for all we know. Well, you thought I was asking the dog something about a <laughs> podcast or whatever. There's no telling because sometimes I'll turn around and you're facing the other direction talking to me. I'm like, ah, okay. Well, I didn't and know then, I had to be right in your face. You don't have to be in my face, but, you know, again. Um, but you're the type of person that likes having conversations across the house. Like, all the way in the other room in the bathroom with the door closed. You're having a conversation with me. And then you're like, you didn't hear me? I'm like, no, I hear you. No. Now, okay. I'm not saying that's not true. <laughs> but I'm saying that you and I will be within five feet of each other, and I will say something to you. Mm -hmm. And then you will turn around and say, as soon as we get home, we need to whatever. And I'm like, I just said that. I'm confirming what you said. You lie. <laughs> Well, you often talk to me while I'm doing other things. Oh, okay. And so my, my You're always attention, doing something. Oh, let me not interrupt while you're playing your Xbox. I don't have or one whatever. Of those, but anyway, that's whatever game it is. So you're 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 already talking to me while my attention's divided. And other times you spend too much time trying to tell me something. And so my ADHD kicks in <gasps> and within 
10 seconds of you talking, I'm already thinking about something different because I'm like, get to the point. Kind of like this podcast, get to the point. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, folks, don't worry. The end of this podcast will be extremely brief. But we are going to go ahead, if you've made it this far, and talk about our guest today, (laughs) David. (laughs) Disclaimer, there is mention of suicide in this podcast. This is a podcast with an anonymous bio dad who has experienced parental alienation. David, don't say his name, but you know him. We met him at the conference in Texas. Mm -hmm. Y'all, this is so sad. It is heartbreaking. Most of our podcast, we find light in things and humor. There's not a whole lot of that in this podcast because it is heartbreaking. So just a warning there. You probably won't be laughing. Hopefully I gave you enough of that in the, in the intro. Yes. <laughs> but before we get into this podcast, David, Tell us about the Nacho Kids Academy. So you guys, you know, there's two things you can do. You can complain about your blend or you can do something about it. And there are plenty of places you can complain about it. And there's also somewhere you can do something about it. And one of those places is the Nacho Kids Academy. And you can find out more at nachokidsacademy.com. That's the place where you can find me and Lori in there with all of our courses and a community of people that are there. Better in their blend, not just complaining, but actually getting something done about it. That's right. All right. So let's get to listening. David, if you want to listen <laughs> for a change. <laughs> I think I'll. Wait, how do you even listen to audiobooks? Because I find them interesting. Oh! <gasps> <laughs> Today we have an anonymous bio dad. Hey, anonymous bio dad, how are you? Good. How are you? Good. So I met you recently, and we had a discussion about parental alienation. Yes. Can you share a little bit of your story with us? I have two biological daughters uh, who are now 19 and 20. Mm-hmm. And I was divorced from their mother, or should I say I started a divorce process from their mother when they were like five and six. And that divorce as most divorces are, unfortunately, that divorce was really ugly and went on for 22 months. Hmm. And in those 22 months, it just made my relationship with my daughters almost non-existent somewhat. Eventually, finally, I got supervised visits for probably somewhere around 18 months because it took a few months just to get to that point from the initial separation and filing a divorce. And it was always just kind of a little, a little shaky, a little rocky, um, just because the situation was just weird. You know, mm-hmm. my girls were little, so I won't say that things were put in their head, but I'll just say that it's, it's an easy age to manipulate or to uh, get them to p- persuade them. Should I say mm-hmm. certain ways, you know, yeah, they're very influential at that age. Yeah, I'm not saying it did happen, but it's just from a parent's perspective of 
you know, like I said, my daughters were five, five and six, but, and I'm not saying I was the best and greatest dad in the world, but I took a lot of what my parents did and didn't do for us growing up and around us growing up and took the good from everything and realized from a long time ago, because I didn't have, you know, I, I didn't decide to have my first child till I was 27. Mm-hmm. And so I got to experience things with, with other girlfriends and their kids and the way that stuff happens and stuff relationships are with kids, you know, different ages, teenage kids, young kids in their toddlers, adolescent ages, but also I got to see just different perspectives of how different people treat their kids in public around private, you know, just every, every form and fashion. And even just in general, when I didn't have kids and wasn't married, there were times where I'd be in the stores and I didn't like the way certain people would talk to their kids. And I took all that as soon as their mother was pregnant. I mean, I was like loving on them in the womb. Mm-hmm. So I took everything as, 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 as good as I could. I just, I just tried my best to be a good dad and, and show them love as much as I could in, in many different ways. And then, you know, I'm not saying I spoiled them, but I did spoil them a little bit, but I didn't spoil them to a point to where I allowed them to get away with everything, so to speak. Mm-hmm. I did discipline, you know, and uh, I did speak to them a lot. I did love on them tremendously in those first five, six years. And uh, so when we went through a divorce and I initially was was kept from the kids, it was it was tough. I was heartbroken and hurt that, that we were going through a divorce because I didn't think the marriage was that bad. Mm-hmm. I seriously didn't think it was something we couldn't overcome for it to happen the way it happened and for it to be, you know, allegations and things like that were to come up. And it was one of those things where I discussed it a couple of times to try and openly discuss it, say, what's going on? Why is, why are things being brought up this way in court and in documents? And it was always the lawyer doing this or the lawyer doing that. I'm not doing that. And I'm like, well, in my mind, you do control what the lawyer does and doesn't say or do. And, and they, as much as I try to be fair in court, the system is not, not built for us in Texas for, for, an, I say us, I say dads, the system in Texas, it's one-sided and, and in some cases it probably isn't, but in most it is. And the way I can prove that easily is because I ended up taking my ex-wife to a trial by jury. And that was a two-day process, and many people don't know that you can take your ex, <laughs> your significant other spouse that you're about to divorce. Many people don't know you can take them to a jury trial and have 12 people decide your fate versus one judge. Right. And after you know 20 months of all this, and it just it just kept snowballing and getting worse and worse, and and mentally, emotionally, I was just a wreck, you know, and I I tried to do my best all the time when I'd get my girls under supervised visits and just make it about us and try to spend the best quality time I could with them in the short time that I would have them for two different days. But away from all that, I mean, it was just, I was just a wreck and I just needed it to stop. I just needed it to be over. I needed, I needed it to finally just get to a closing point because it was just 
it was just getting worse and worse. And, and so I, I did, I asked my, my attorney, I said, I said, can I get a jury trial? And he says, what? Mm-hmm. I said, yeah. Cause I don't, I don't want one person deciding my fate with my kids. And, uh, and he says, do you know how much that's going to cost? <laughs> and I'm like, I don't care. And so long story short, we went through a two day trial by jury through the voir dire of all that. You really got to listen to people, different races, male, female, different ages. And you got to listen to their opinions and their stories about, yeah, when, you know, the attorneys would ask them certain questions to, to just kind of rule them out or agree to keep them in the, in the jury pool. Right. And you'd hear, you'd hear women say, yeah, the system's not, not right. The system's not set up in a manner to where the male gets a fair treatment. He's almost always, I wouldn't say taken advantage of, but just not treated as fairly as the female. Right. And men would say it. And a lot of times men would say it because they were upset or they were bitter because they got the raw end of the deal. But when women started saying, yeah, you know, a friend of mine or my brother or a family member, and, you know, they started talking on their behalf that that man was a good person and good to his kids, but yet these negative things happen because of the way the system's built, just started making me think, you know, I did the right thing, um, no matter the cost. Right. And long story short, it ended up being 12 men and 12 women on the jury panel. And we went through. Uh, How many? Just like it was 12. It was, it was six men. It was 12 people, six men and six women. Okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> I was yeah, going to go, wait a minute. That's 24, yeah. I think. <laughs> yeah. And so in the end of it, you know, without going through all the details, we went through just, I got on the stand, the ex got on the stand, the ex put a, a counselor up on the stand that the girls were going to and that turned around and backfired on them because you know the I was I was so glad too that that counselor was honest and not trying to just play the role on their side on their behalf Mm -hmm. because at some point during the divorce the ex started taking the the girls to a counselor and when when we went to trial, they had her come up and come on the stand and, um, you know, the attorney asked certain questions and it basically come down to it to where the counselor says, I don't see any reason why this man shouldn't be allowed to be around his kids. They've never said anything or they've never, because counselors know, counselors can read between the lines. Counselors are around that kind of stuff enough to where they can just play with the kids in a certain manner with drawing things or toys and just start discussing stuff and the kids will open up. Mm-hmm. And so luckily that counselor was truthful and honest and didn't say a single negative thing about me. Um, and lo and behold, after it all said and done, I, I could kind of say that I won, but in reality, I didn't win anything. I got, joint managing custody, which is what every parent should get. You know, whether you're, you're the father, the mother, every child in my mind, in my, in my opinion, should get access to both 
parents at any given time. It shouldn't be, I don't think it should be set up to where it's has to be every other weekend. It has to be, I, I I'm a big believer on why can't you just let the kids say, Hey, you know what? This weekend I want to go with dad this weekend. I want to go with mom or can I call dad to come pick me up and take me somewhere? Or, you know, it, I don't feel that it has to be so court supervised or in black and white. It, I would hope that more and more family and wives and husbands or parents, however you want to say it, that that have that open mind to say, you know what, it's it's not about me and you, it's about the kids and 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 let them have a good normal life of access to both parents as much as they want. Mm-hmm. My girlfriend now has has two kids from her ex that go every other weekend and there's times that those kids don't want to go because there's other things going on that they would rather do because it's just, you know, kids being kids. Mm-hmm. And, and I understand that a parent should have their quality time with their kid, but in, in a lot of essence, it's like, if they have things going on, then work with it. You can't always put everything in black and white because that's just not life. I mean, you can't schedule life out that way, at least in my opinion, or you shouldn't mm-hmm. in a manner to where this is how it is. This is how it's got to be. Right. In my opinion, things should always be flexible, especially when it comes to kids, because things always happen. Yeah. Things always change. You get kids that are in sports, you get kids that are in different activities. And especially if the parents don't live in the same school district or even in the same city, it's going back and forth in different areas of DFW sometimes takes a little while. And so all these time frames and all these rules and stuff, I know they're put there because in a lot of instances you have to have standards to go by because unfortunately too many times parents don't think that way. And they, they want, it's like they want to be, bitter or or vindictive to the other parent by saying, well, this is my time. Right. And and that's not right. But Well, let me ask you something. Let's back up a little bit. So you were not the one that filed for divorce? No. Not in my first marriage, no. Okay. And why did you end up with supervised visits? Because the way she filed for divorce was with an immediate and emergency what do they call that? Like an injunction or yeah, relief? where I don't remember what it's called, but it's one of them things where you can't be around a certain person for within so many yards or so many some so much of a distance, and you can't come around and you can't just pop up at you know their house or almost like a restraining like order. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go, restraining order. And so the way that I was served divorce papers were. I was out of town and I came home and everybody was gone. And I called a few people that I knew from the family. I don't know where she's at. I don't know nothing. I don't know nothing. I don't know nothing. And then three or four days later, I get a knock at the door and it's a constable serving me divorce papers. And I told the constable, I said, that's weird. And he says, what? I said, she just left three or four days ago. And he tells me, he says, I'm not trying to, to make you think anyway. I'm not trying to feed you any type of information to make you feel different or, or make you think bad. He says, but 
I've been doing this a long time. He says, this was in the works a long time ago. And I said, why do you say that? He says, because you can't file for divorce on a Monday and have it all signed, sealed and put in a, in a constable's hand and served in three or four days. He says that, that just don't happen. Right. He said, so this was already in the works probably a couple of weeks ago. You know, he says, if not a month ago, he says, but I'm just here to do my job. And I said, I understand, you know, it's, it's okay. Just gave me the papers, assigned him a little thing and he left, but that's just kind of how it started. And it just got worse from there, you know, allegations of different things. And I think that's kind of where the counselor was brought in to try to see if they could get a professional, so to speak, you know, to talk bad about me, but Mm -hmm. Because, you know, just like any attorney, an attorney is going to twist everything in a negative way for their favor. And that's exactly what happened. I mean, every so many weeks, something else would come up that here's an allegation of this or here's an allegation of that. Or, well, you know, they're not wanting to agree to certain thing because of these negative qualities or these certain instances from the past. And So she, she made it sound like that your kids weren't safe around you. Yeah. Yeah, because that's exactly how it was worded, that she feared for her safety and her children's safety. And like I said, the system's not set up for us because you would think, at least in my opinion, you would think that, okay, for a judge to sign off on that, then there needs to be proof. There needs to be evidence of some sort, right? which they had none. They never had none. They tried to bring up things in court and just as my attorney would do everything negative they tried to bring up my attorney would you know shoot it down and every time if i was on on the stand or if the ex was on the stand her attorney would try to trip me up in something you know and just for instance something very sim- very simple i'm a guy i'm a dad and we don't always have everything memorized and plus i'm a little nervous and i'm on the stand and the, her attorney asks me, what are the children's birthdays, right? And I said their birthdays, but I got the year, like I got the month and day correct, but the years were one year off mm-hmm. for each one. It was one year too early. Right. And the attorney turns around and brings this up to the jury and she says, see, he doesn't even know his own kid's birthdays. And so... <laughs> Everybody kind of saw through that. that It's like, come on, really? Yeah. But it's just something simple like that. You know, just every single step of the way that they're just out there reaching for stuff to try to make it look like I'm just a horrible monster. And again, I'm not saying I was a perfect dad, but I was never violent or never abusive to my kids or the ex. And just like everybody, everybody gets in arguments, you know. Right. But like you said, how do you prove that? You're not a bad person. And they didn't exactly. they didn't have to prove that you were. Yep. But I think it's it's left up to you to prove that their allegations are false, correct? Yeah. And that's where the system's just not not set up properly because a father has to fight for everything he wants with his kids when the other party is is just trying everything in their power to to take it from and it shouldn't be that way you know the the system's set up in a manner to where a woman can just say anything she wants and the courts believe it until the man fights for it 
mm-hmm. and not trying to sound boastful, but it's fathers like me that get the, the bad end of the deal. And somebody like me who's trying to do the best he can, whether it's be there in every every function to support them, not just financially, but emotionally and and just in everything that they're into, be there and and root them on in their basketball games or you know, whatever it is that they're in involved in. And it's just saddening that that we have to put up such a fight for that. And then little things, it seems like getting getting more and more involved with, with other people and friends and, and telling stories about things you've gone through in life. It seems like more and more of the men who pay their child support, who want to be around their kids, who try to be the best dads they can, even in the circumstance of divorce, have to fight for it most of the time. And... Any little time the money stops flowing, bam, you're back in court or, or you get a letter in the mail. But yet you got, I've also heard of so many guys that don't pay child support, never around the kids. And they're walking the streets like nothing. Mm-hmm. And the mothers are doing the best that they can as what I would really call single moms. Because I think that might hurt some people's feelings, but I'm sorry, you're not a single mom if the father's involved. You might be single relationship wise but you're not a single parent when the other parents involved. I don't look at it that way. Right. Just because you're not married to the father or the mother of your children doesn't mean you're a single parent. Right. I don't think so. And so, like I said, some people might get, might get a little upset about it, but just because a woman is, is not married to the father of the children and uh, she has the kids most of the time because of the way the court system's set up sorry but you're not a single mom especially when the dad's involved in everything and and you know child support that's just another whole another ordeal in, in my book that's just unfortunate that yeah. for instance I, I had a job where I was making quite a bit of money and I changed jobs and I took a big pay cut but the courts wouldn't lower my child support. Now I know in certain states I know every state's different but in certain states, they won't let you try to get child support lowered or just say changed, recalculated, mm. unless it's been three years, number one, or there is extenuating circumstances. So yeah. if, yeah, if you got laid off, then you could get it recalculated. If you would think you getting a lower paying job would be, but and I know some states look at it as, oh, he's just doing that to lower his child support. Which is not necessarily the case. Stuff happens. Well, and you know, and the other thing that's that's kind of also messed up is that, for instance, let's just say you make, for easy math, ten dollars an hour, mm-hmm. and you have two kids, you pay twenty five percent, and it's twenty five percent of the gross, not of the net, right. And so if you go ahead and say, you know what, I can't live off of what's left over after child support. So I'm going to get another job or I'm going to get, I'm going to work more overtime. Well, that's fine and dandy. But as soon as they recalculate it, they take all that into effect. Right. So you're working harder to just make ends meet and harder to, you know, working harder and longer hours so that you can provide for yourself and your kids. 
And because of all that, the next time it comes around, it's calculated on your gross, not on your net, and not on a 40-hour work week. Right. And a lot of times they do gross because, of course, people have tried to manipulate the system in the past and say, oh, well, wait a minute. If I put 20% into my 401k, that reduces the amount that they can look at for child support. So yeah. a lot of times that's why they go by gross. And, and that's understandable as well. I just think that it, each situation should be looked at and based off of a 40-hour a work week off of, if it's going to be gross, you know, it should be off of a 40-hour work week because. Yeah, overtime can come and go. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And and if you can get it to get ahead, then get it. And if you, because some jobs don't offer it though. Mm-hmm. Some do, some don't. But if you're if you're working two jobs, full-time at one and part-time at another, so that you can survive or get ahead or, or make more money, it's like the more I make and the more I try to do or get ahead, the more they constantly want to take. And again, I'm not saying at all, I'm not saying this in a negative way to not support your kids because I have no issues supporting my kids mm-hmm. because... Every time they got involved in something, sports, I would make sure they had proper shoes, proper equipment or whatever it was that they needed, you know, school supplies, lunch money, all that kind of stuff, extra above and beyond child support, I would also help out with. Right. And it's just that thing that I kind of think is not fair where the harder that you work trying to make ends meet because after you take 25% of, of your pay you still get, in in essence, kind of taxed on it as well. Right. Yeah. It's almost like they deter you from getting a better job because you end up having an increase in child support. Yeah. And and again, I'm not saying that there's, you know, because people do manipulate the system. I I will say that. And and I understand that because people work in under 1099 where it's contracts and, you know, you can always manipulate everything through taxes, the way that you do a 1099 form and, and show your expenses. And then in the end, end up at the end of the year with, you know, very little, mm-hmm. but when it's plain in black and white of you make $10 an hour, you work 40 hours a week, there's $400. You take 25%. Okay. Take a hundred bucks, you know, anything above and beyond that you work for that is something you're doing to, to help yourself out, to continue to grow as you work. Cause you have to live as well. Right. Anyways, uh, off that topic of, of all that stuff, because yeah. it is what it is. I uh, ended up getting uh, joint managing custody and ended up getting uh, regular visits a couple of weeks, probably about, about two or three weeks after the, the trial was all said and done. I got normal visits where I would get them every other weekend and, you know, the odd and even stuff for mm-hmm. the Thanksgiving and Christmas and, and then Father's Day and all that kind of stuff. But I did my best where I would say 90% of the time I never missed a Wednesday where you, I would get them for two hours Mm -hmm. and it was few and far between if something had to change on a weekend that I had them, you know, because I traveled a lot for the job that I had most of the time that I was going through the divorce or should I say that I was divorced from their mother until about eight years ago when I changed jobs. But after the divorce and through all that stuff of the divorce, it's like I had rekindle or restart or or just 
rebuild right. my relationship with my kids. And I made a huge con- conscience effort to do so and just made it a point, as I said before, my time with my kids was my time with my kids. It was, it was just about me and them. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't care what they did with their mom. I didn't care who their mom was dating. I didn't care about anything that was going on at their household other than small talk. Like, hey, you know, how was your week? How was school? Right. How are things going and stuff like that. Um, and, and and as they got older, the conversations change a little bit, you know, because they go from being first graders and third graders to sixth graders and eighth graders and the friends and all that kind of stuff starts to change. And especially with, you know, one of the things with being a dad and having two daughters, well, that's just a whole nother ball game for sure. <laughs> yeah. It's just a whole nother thing. And so then when I'm, you know, as they're growing older, there's things that you have to just man up and be a dad and not let it weird you out and try to make it as, as smooth and uncomfortable and weird as it might be, or some dads might make it because little girls grow up into young ladies. Mm -hmm. And I was living by myself, just me and my dog and, Obviously, I didn't. There wasn't a woman in the household when they were going through the little transition that girls go through with just life around the early mm-hmm. teenage years. And so one day they came over, and I, I just I, I had been thinking about it for a while. And they came over, and I said, "You know, I think we should go to the store and buy some stuff." And they're like, well, "What do you mean?" <laughs> <laughs> and I said, "Well, you know, there's things that you guys I know will probably be needing, and so I just want to." have stuff here at the house because if something starts and and it happens then I want to be prepared for and have things that y'all you, you know y'all y'all will need. Right, you were and trying to make like, them comfortable and be prepared. Yeah. Yeah, and so I even bought them like a little what would you call like a little small makeup bag. Yeah. to carry their things in when they would come over and then when we would go out and be out and about, you know, cuz they didn't carry purses, so it just looked like a little wristlet i think y'all yeah y'all call them the, mm-hmm. and just look like a little thing like that and you know nobody knows what's in there and it's something that they needed and so it just got to be kind of luckily it just got to be kind of a funny little joke thing that when they would come over one of the first things after saying you know hi how you doing give them a hug kiss and so on and so forth i would say anybody got a visitor this weekend <laughs> <laughs> like you just want to know and they're like yeah yeah, and I'm like, okay, do we got stuff at the house? We do stuff and get some. No, I don't know. I think, and you know, we just go, and it, it became like no big deal. Mm-hmm. And uh, same as when they start to develop as a young lady, and it's like, well, I guess we need to have things here at the house too for y'all because I didn't want them to be constantly carrying bags back and forth. So right. they had clothes of of everything for that they needed. They had clothes here at the house. And so uh, we went shopping one time for undergarments. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And at first, it was kind of funny because with both situations, as we're doing that, I could see that other women were in the same aisles, older, older women, and they could see what I was doing. So I got a couple of little smiles and stuff. So I, it made like, me feel better. Like, oh, good it. daddy, good daddy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So... Um, I just, you know, so I started to try to my best to just 
rebuild our relationship. And so after, man, there were, let's see, there were five, six. So there were about, there were about seven, eight when the divorce was finally over. And I finally got to have them to myself on my weekends. And a few years later, I got remarried and she had biological or she had, you know, three kids from another previous husband and they all three lived with her and that guy wasn't really around often. He was just kind of in and out, but I got to actually live and experience the, the whole bio dad, non-bio dad and kind of as we were going through that Nacho Kids course and, and, and the little two-day conference thing we went to and how I met you, there were times through that. I was like, you know what? I did do that right. You know, I, I, did, I did take care of that situation the right way. I did handle that the right way. I did do this right. And there were a couple of times where I was like, yeah, you know, I should, I should have probably done a little bit different than the way that I did something because of what we were talking about or somebody was discussing in the group. Right. And so it made me feel pretty good about the fact that most of the stuff without having training or without having gone through any type of counseling or courses or anything just out of the, out of the way that I wanted my kids to be and my kids to feel, should I say, because of how my parents were or were not with us or things that I saw, as I discussed earlier, out in public with people and their kids. Most of the time I handled stuff the right way with my non-biological kids. Mm-hmm. You know, there were a few times I didn't. And I understand that. But even though I'm not married to her anymore, there's a few instances that have come up from people that know both of us. And some of the times that stepdad was just being mean and stepdad was being just this horrible person, it came out to light that, you know, I'm glad he did that because I would have never grown up. Or if he had never done that, I'd have never been where I'm at now. Right. Or, I understand what he was, what he meant now, back then I didn't, or just different things like that. So it's like, after I hear those things through other people that they discussed openly with about that stuff, and then going through your, your two day course, I felt pretty good. And so they were about seven and eight years old, you know, when, when I started to get them and I really kept just trying to build my relationship with them. And even when I got remarried, I did things with everybody, her kids and my kids all together on one day. And then I explained to my wife at the time, you need to let them understand that I need my time with my kids. So I would do one day family all together. And then I would do one solid day. It was just me and my girls. Mm -hmm. And that's just how I did it, you know? And as they got older, they wouldn't come over as much because they were into acting or they were into certain journalism stuff, but they were just into different things to where dad, I got this thing going on Saturday and either you can come pick us up Saturday evening or just come early Sunday and we'll spend all day Sunday together. So, so there were a lot of times to do that, mm-hmm. you know, cause they ended up moving about 60 miles away from me. And um, most of the time, I would just drive out there and pick them up or drive out there and, and uh, spend a whole, a whole entire day with them out there. Because again, 
I didn't like it, but it's just the way that things had to work out because, you know, they, they're getting involved in things. And I have heard different instances where a parent is like, well, I didn't sign you up for baseball, so I'm not taking you and driving you all over the place and spending all day long outside in the heat for practice and so on and so forth. And, you know, shuttling you back and forth. So on my weekends, you're just not going to get to go. Right. And that's just, that's just totally wrong, but I've heard it. I've, I've, mm-hmm. I've heard that. So I just worked it out the best I could and spent the most I could as far as time wise with them and, and then let them and allow them to do the things that they wanted to be involved in in school. Cause they need that. Right. And after about, what was this about seven years or eight years? Cause my, yeah, about seven, eight years later, my daughters are about to drive. And so I start talking to them about cars and, you know, what do you want to, what do you want to drive? And cause I'm, I'm not getting you a brand new car. Right. Some of your friends, some of your friends might have a brand new car, but I'm not buying you a brand new car. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, a nice little 4,000, uh, not, not, not in today's economy, but Five years ago, you could get a little $4,000 used car. And it was a nice little used car. Right. Now you're going to pay twelve and, for that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. In today's crazy market, it's like triple. But anyways, uh, and I also said, you know what? I need to start taking them on vacation. So I took them on a really long seven-day drive. We drove to uh, three different big cities in, in the country and just had a blast. Mm-hmm. You know, we went and saw two different baseball games because that's one thing I used to do a lot with them, take them to baseball games because they enjoyed that here at the Ranger Stadium. Or should I say at the old one because I haven't even seen one at the new one yet. And uh, just we just did a lot of different things together and they enjoyed baseball. And so we got to experience at two iconic stadiums in the country and just doing different things, you know, just enjoying being out away from Dallas-Fort Worth and experiencing other cities and things that they had to offer mm-hmm. and just enjoying really good, great quality time together. And after coming home, you know, my mom was like, well, how was it? And I said, this is the best time I've had with them yet, you know, and everything's been great and good, but this was just like over the top. I said, I need to start doing this more and more. Mm-hmm. And not long later within, let's see, July, within about three or four months, in those next three or four months, I started to notice just odd things. Their, their reactions to me were different. Their little kind of little vibes you would get from their, from their excuses of why they couldn't come over or just different things were just, I could tell that something was going on. Mm-hmm. And just out of the blue one day, I get a long text message that they didn't want to be a part of my life anymore. No reason. No, the... Uh, the text message didn't say anything like you're mean. We can't do anything. You too strict. It just said, we don't want to be a part of your life. We don't want you to be around us. We don't want you to pick us up anymore. We don't want to come over anymore. We don't want to be a part of your family anymore. And, you know, I, I kept that text message for about two years you probably looked at it quite a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it was one of those things that I, I beat myself up about it quite a bit. And I tried, I tried different angles. I, 
I used to have this, uh, you know, during, during my crazy divorce, I told myself, you know, you don't need to do anything or leave anything open for them to use in court. So one of the things I put in place myself was every night I'll call at 735 and then I'll call if then nobody answers, I'll call two more times. So I'll call a total of three times between 735 and 9 p.m. and never call after 9 p.m. Mm-hmm. And that way they couldn't say that I call the house too much in court, you know, or, or I'm constantly calling and leaving messages or, or just calling at all hours of the night and bothering them or harassing them and stuff like that. Right. So I always did it the same thing, even after the divorce was over. Like I said, I traveled a lot for work when we first got divorced and that's how I would do it. I would call them if they nobody answered i would call again about 30 minutes or so 35 minutes or so later i'd call again nobody answered i'd call one more time and that was it Mm -hmm. sometimes nobody would ever answer because you know they were out doing stuff or and i would call the house phone you know i wouldn't call cell phones because the only at at that time the, the girls didn't have cell phones right and so even once they moved from where they were living and they moved 60 miles away I would just call their mom's cell phone because again, they didn't have cell phones at that beginning time. And then eventually they did. But so that's exactly how I I would do it. I'd call them. So I did that for a year. Nobody ever answered the phone. Every single day called for a solid year and did it the same exact way. And so then uh, birthdays, Christmas and all that stuff, you know, I'd send presents and I'd drop stuff off. And that's one thing I'm so grateful for their counselor at school was really understanding and allowed me to go take things to them. And she would call them down after I left and, and come get the things that I would leave for them at school. And it's something that the school doesn't really like you to do. But after meeting with the counselor, she says, you know what, if you want to do that, they won't accept it downstairs at the front desk, but you can ask to see me and I'll do that for you. And I was like, that's great. You know, I appreciate it. And so I would go talk to her the counselor every once in a while to see how they're doing. And I'm real glad that they were always really good in school and they always did really well in school. I wasn't so, it was something that I never really had to worry about. And uh, she just helped me out when I was trying to keep, you know, reaching out to them and keep reaching out to them the last few years that they were in high school. And so after calling them for a solid year and nothing, I said, well, maybe they just need time. Maybe I just need to, stand back a little bit you know so i i just kind of did that i didn't call anymore and every so often i would send their mother a text message hey you know could you let them see this or would you let them know that i miss them and i love them and just thinking about them and call me anytime they want every time on any card i would leave my cell phone number at the bottom i'm always here for you call me Mm -hmm. do you feel like that I mean, I understand 100% why you called every day. I do. Because you were just hoping every time that somebody would answer that phone. But do you, in hindsight, feel like you were almost torturing yourself? Yeah. And I have not experienced anything like you have. So do not think I'm comparing the two. But I know when my son would be with his dad for summer vacation And I was allowed to call like every two or three days, something like that. 
And of course, I did like you. It was eight o'clock on the dot. I was not late. Uh, not that I had to have a time, but the, or that they give gave me a time. It was just you figure eight o'clock. They're probably in. The sun's starting to go down. You know, and it's not late. Yeah. Well, I would call and not get an answer. Well, the first time you're kind of disappointed. Then I would call at 8.30. And that second time, I had such a range of emotions because I was worried. I was mad. I, I just, I can't even explain the feeling, almost sick, because his dad knew when I was going to call, and he would intentionally not answer the phone. Yeah. And here's the thing that he knew that's the way to get to me. That's the <laughs> one thing he could do that hurt me. And it was it was horrible. And I found out later from an ex-girlfriend that there were times that my son would ask to call me and he would be told no. And it just it broke my heart when she told me that. But it's Oh, it's just, I can't imagine how you feel, or I mean, how you felt calling every day for a year, because I know those few times I could not get in touch with my son, and his dad wouldn't call me back. That's what really got you, is when they wouldn't call back, and it's two days later. And I just know how I felt, and I just, I can't imagine how you felt trying to go to sleep at night waking up the next morning, having hope that maybe today will be the day. Yeah. It's an emotional roller coaster that, oh, it's, it's heartbreaking that you went through that. Yeah. And, and, you know, I was never, here's the crazy part, is that looking back, that first year, it was, it was kind of upsetting. I was never mad. I was never worried for their safety. Well, that's good. And it wasn't because I, I didn't, I didn't care. It was just, I just, I just never felt that, you know, I just never felt that I needed to worry for their safety. Right. Which is a plus if nothing else. Yeah. And so it was just like, you know, I, I kind of always tried to keep positive about it. And, and it's now been four and a half years and I still have spoken to them. Four and a half years. Yeah. The first year. You know, I just just kept thinking, ah, they're just going through something. You know, they're teenagers. They're 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 fifteen, sixteen. They're just going through stuff. You know, I just I just constantly put it in, in a in a way to where it was like they'll turn around, they'll turn around, they'll turn around. And I dealt with it really, really well. I I, I think I think I did. And the second year, where I just kind of backed off for a few months. Um, I don't know exactly. I don't remember exactly how long, but I I do remember backing away for for several months. And then after that, I just would get to where I started to text every so often, send them a message here and there and still nothing. And then the, the counselor at school was helping me out as far as at least to try to continue to reach out to them. Cause I had a uh, little, had a little, uh, kind of tradition that I started when they were really little in school that every Valentine's day, I would take them things. 
mm-hmm. to their school. And I would just, just, you know, a little bag of all kinds of little thingies of candies and little Valentine's things and stuff. And so I would do that for them every single year. And I did that every year up until their senior year. And then they graduated and I did it for one year after when they graduated this past February is the first time I never did. And, and it mainly got to the point that way, not because I'm upset, not because I'm mad or not because I feel any ill will towards them. I just got to the point to where after going through every step that I could think of to try to reach out to them, text messages, long letters and cards, working my tail off to, to send money for college, which even if I didn't pay for half of it, I was still trying to send what I could for college and things that they needed. And it just, it finally took its toll. Like I said, the first couple of years, I handled it really well, but I was brought up in a manner to where, you know, my parents came from nothing and they've built themselves up and we were never rich, but we never needed. And my parents worked really hard and instilled in us work and they instilled in us that life's not fair. Life's tough. You get knocked down, you get up, you keep, you just roll with the punches, you know, mm-hmm. you, you don't let anything get you down too long. You just shake it off and keep going, you know? And I was able to do that through my long, ugly divorce. I went through some really hard financial issues when the housing market crashed um, because of the, the work that I was doing. I went through some really expensive hikes and stuff with my, with my work when I was doing, cause costs of things got really super high. So I rolled with the punches, you know, I, I didn't let stress. I didn't let that stuff bother me mm-hmm. in a manner to where, I took it out on other people or I started drinking or I started doing drugs or started just, you know, so many things that you could negatively do to yourself over stress. Right. So with, I I say that because I started to have anxiety attacks and just out of nowhere. And I'd never, ever, ever in my life had one. And just, I never figured out what triggered it because I could be at work. I could be driving down the road. I could be at home. I could be out anywhere. It just didn't matter. Mm-hmm. And it's something that I've never experienced before where just out of the blue, you're hyperventilating, you're crying and bawling your eyes out in one of those deep, deep sobs that take your breath away and you can't breathe. And you're just, I mean, tears are just pouring out of your eyes yeah and it would it would stay that way for i don't know five ten fifteen minutes sometimes a little longer and then i'd eventually get over it and it started to happen more often that third year that they hadn't spoken to me or i hadn't got to see them or hug them or kiss them on their forehead like I would always do. Right. To me, it would almost, I would think that it would be easier if they did give you a reason. 
Yeah. And I don't know if that's what ended up being the whole part that I beat myself up about that I didn't get a reason so that, you know, as men were fixers and I didn't get a chance to fix why, Mm -hmm. but eventually I had one episode that was so strong and so, so heavy. And I really didn't discuss any of this with anybody. Right. No, nobody knew that I was, I was having these things and that I was going through this. I would just shake it off, you know, and just, I don't know what that was about and whatever, because I never under, because it was never like, I saw a picture of them and then it started or I saw a Facebook reminder and it started. Mm-hmm. It, it was just random as all get out. I just do not know how or why they triggered or what triggered them. Well, I've always believed in God and I, I was raised Catholic and I've always believed in God and always believed in a higher power and believed in Jesus and everything. Uh, as a kid growing up, we did all the traditional things that most, Hispanics do. And as I got a teenager, kind of just walked, got away from it just because we just didn't start, we didn't go as much anymore as when I was growing up as a little kid. And as my young adult life, I tried to start that up again and, and do the same, but it just never stuck. I never continued it. And even within my second marriage, it was beginning to be a fight and a hassle with the bio kids or the, the the kids that weren't weren't biologically mined because they weren't brought up that way. And I just kind of allowed it to just not be something that I was constantly trying to make happen. And in hindsight, that's what brought me back to God and, and why I'm walking in my faith as I do now and how I have been for about a year and a half now, because about a year and a half ago, I almost ended my life. And I get that. And, uh, you know, I explain or I give my testimony to some people. I've, I've given my testimony to people that where I was that day, I was in a, I was in a trailer and it was, I was, I was somewhere where I was, it was really, really, really bright in that room. The lights were just super bright where I was at. And, I've felt stress before, but I've never felt that kind of weight. And in, in sharing my testimony with a few people, they had told me after the fact that, you know, I understand what you mean by weight. And then this next thing is the reason I said that room was really bright and I make an effort to let you understand that I wasn't in a dark room. I was in a really bright room. Right. Was be- was because I felt the darkness. I f- it's hard to explain of how you can feel and see darkness in such a bright room and feel the weight of something on you, but I did. Right. But that I, I I couldn't to this day tell you how long that was, but it seemed like forever. Mm-hmm. But I stared. 
I stared at a handgun that was on the table for quite a while. And it was during that, that moment that I was having that panic attack and I'm bawling my eyes out. And my, like I said earlier, I had a dog, I have a dog and, you know, animals, animals know, you know, they're, they're God's creation and they stick around you enough. They know. Cause my dog was, was curled up in a ball like they do just, you know, laying down as I'm losing it. He gets up. I'm sitting down in a chair and he gets up and walks over to me and uh, he's a tall enough dog that he walks over to me and sets his head on my lap. And my phone is on the table and I'm staring at that handgun and my phone lights up and it lights up because of a notification that comes across it. And that notification was enough to get my mind and my eyes off that gun. And uh, after that, I just, again, like I said, just, I just shook it off and I went to bed, you know. Next day I wake up and didn't even think about it, didn't dawn on it. Just, it was like, eh, you know. It was just something, whatever. Yeah. Well, little by little by little, um, things start to happen and I just start to get closer to God. And as I realize now the way that things, without getting into another long story, but in the short version, the way that things have happened now and the way I've gotten closer to God, I understand it now and I see it now that he saved me that day. Yeah. And so, uh, since that day, I've never had a panic attack yet. And I've gone through a few things here and there. Yeah. But I've yet, I've yet to have that, that thoughts never come, come across my mind. And the, the, the crazy thing is, too, last night, it just so happens last night, some mutual friends or some mutual people that we, my daughters and I, or that fa- that family and I know, came across some stuff on Facebook. And I saw three pictures of my, my girls that I hadn't seen because they were pretty recent pictures. Mm-hmm. And so I sat at my kitchen table when I saw those last night, cried a little bit, but it wasn't. It wasn't anywhere even remotely close to the way I would have a panic attack right. or the way I was having those, 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 uh, those little, I don't, I don't even know how would you describe it or call it, but it's just, I was not having those things and I was not experiencing that. Right. And I just got to see up close in, in a picture, how, how they've grown, how much they've grown. And, you know, they're, they're now uh, around 19 and 20 and the 19 year old will turn 20 here in a couple of, couple of months or actually uh, in about a month, actually. And so uh, that's one of the, you know, if, for people that, that believe in God and for people that, 
walk with Christ, they understand that everybody, every single person at some instance has to give something to God and, and just, it's not that you don't care. It's not that you don't, you don't have deep emotions or feelings or, or love. It's just at some point you got to give certain things to God. And that's the first thing I did. That's the first thing I gave to God. It took a little bit. It, it, it truly did. You know, it, it, it wasn't instant at one point when I thought that I truly had given it to him, something arose, rose back up and it took a little bit longer, but I don't worry about it anymore. I don't, I don't beat myself up about it anymore. And you can't change it. No, no, you can't. And even though I had every right as some people that I would, I would talk to would say, well, you have every right to go over there and you, you know, there need to be with you and so on and so forth, but how are you going to force that? Well, that was going to be a question that I was going to ask you, you know, at the time they were 15, 16. Did you yeah. ever think about going back to court to make them come? Um, you know, the, the thought, thought did come across, across my mind, but again, real quickly, it's like, okay, that's going to be tension. That's going to be another fight that comes up and no telling how it gets worded in that household of what the mom's having to go through. And even then at that point in time, being 15, 16, I think at some point in time, I'm not hundred percent sure, but I think it's at like the age of 12, you can go to court and the kids do have a lot to say about if they do or don't want to go with the other family member, the, or just, I mean, the other parent. Uh, but my, my whole thought process on that was that, yeah, I have the legal right. Yes. I have it documented on paper and black and white that I have these rights, but really when you think about it, I go over there, even with the divorce decree in my hand, and say, y'all got to come with me, that's not going to go well. Right. And taking it a whole nother level, another level is that I do that. All she's got to do is call the cops. And all she's got to do is say, he's over here harassing and being, you know, violent, belligerent or whatever. And yep. that, Get does, you in that, trouble. Doesn't, that doesn't go well for me. So the thought came across my head, but real quickly, I, I was like, that's, that's not going to get me anywhere. Well, did the counselor, because it sounds like the counselor was very sympathetic towards you, and I'm so glad that they were, but did she or he ever say anything to you about the kids not wanting to see you or what was no. going on? Because, see, that that's the part that would drive me crazy. I'm one of these people that I have to know Yeah, what happened. Yeah, I know. And that's kind of where I think that that's the part that really bothered me the most is, is again, like I said, you know, we're dads, we're, we're fixers. We want to fix everything. It's hard for us to listen and just to listen. And when I was just told that that's what they wanted in text message, all kinds of things came through my mind. You know, is this even them? That was going to be my next question. Are you 100% sure it was them and not your ex? And th- and that's where I wanted to try to do the best that I could to to get to them 
one-on-one mm-hmm. by sending them things and and dropping stuff off at their house or giving them cards. And I even even for certain instances in the beginning, I tried to do things in a manner to where they have to see this. Like I wrote checks to them for other things, not it wasn't child support, for other things above and beyond and in their name. Mm-hmm. And then when the check would clear, I would look at my bank account and see if they signed it, you know? And so they knew it was from dad. Right. But again, a lot of that stuff is things that are not under and in, in your control. And that's one thing that, that it's hard to understand or hard to accept is that you can't control everything. Yeah. And not saying that I was, I'm a control freak, but as a dad trying to fix stuff, you're trying to, like I said, you're beating yourself up because, because why? What did I do? What can I do? Or, and you can't do anything. Right. Just tell me so I can get closure. Yeah. So we're going on four and a half years. And about a year ago, I started to think that I was going to start getting a little bit closer to them because, I, like, I, like I'd mentioned before, I was working my butt off and I was really trying to work a lot of overtime to send them money. Mm-hmm. And it just got to the point to where that's the only time I would get a response from a text was I'm sending money because of, you know, this thing or or because they're starting college and they were needing money for different things for school. And it's like, Hey, you know, I remember a couple of times, Hey, I want to go to a baseball game or Hey, I want to go out to dinner or whatever. And I wouldn't get a response, but when it came to money, it was there. there There was a response. Hey, did y'all get the checks I sent you guys? Yeah, we did. Thanks. Okay. Hey, you know, do you want to go to dinner? I wouldn't get a response anymore. And so it got to the point to where I just finally said, you're as ugly as it sounds. I had to accept the fact that my kids were ungrateful. Yeah. And again, I'm not trying to say it to sound ugly or be mean, but. Oh, I know. I know. That's what it was. That's what it is. Yeah. I'm. You're not, you don't want to be a part of my life or a part of my family, but you'll take my money. Yeah. 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 And so I just quit. I just quit completely. And I've sent them birthday gifts and they were small. They weren't large like they were before because I think at one point I was doing it because I was hoping that it would make a change. It would make a difference. Mm -hmm. And it didn't. And I finally realized that. And so I just quit the the work that I do now is pretty physically demanding. And so I just quit working so much overtime because it was, I was killing myself. Mm -hmm. And like I said, I just, I just little by little in the last year and a half, I've gotten closer and closer and deeper in my faith, closer to God and deeper into my faith where I've, I've just understood that I got to move on and give it to God and, continue to reach out here and there and know, let them know that I'm, I'm always here for them. I'm always going to be here no matter what. I'll, I'll never treat them any different. I'll never be vindictive. I'll never be bitter. Right. I just want things to be as they should be. And I just want to be a part of their life. And I would hope at some point in time, they want to be a part of mine and allow me to be, in their life to experience the things that you always want to see your kids go through. You know, you always, all, all the good stuff you want to see your kids progress. You want to see your kids 
achieve things and right. and do great things. And you know, I'm thinking. First of all, I am so glad that your phone lit up with that notification that day, because, like you said, it saved you. But I am so proud of you for not saying, well, you'll take my money, but you don't want anything to do with me. Screw you. I'm not sending them anything else. And, I mean, I can see where you're not going to send them any more money or anything like that, but you still acknowledge Christmas or birthdays or whatever. So they know that, hey, daddy's not giving up on you. And I'm thinking that if nothing else, that hopefully... If they get married and have kids, that something in them will switch. Yeah. You know, I've always I've always had that little thought in my mind, kind of similar to how you're saying that maybe as they get get out on their own and they're in college and they're out talking to older people or other people or friends or people they they meet from different parts of the country because they're at college, you know, and mm-hmm. it's not just it's not just kids in their neighborhood at their school. And they get to experience and see and meet people from different backgrounds. And the one little story that I it's kind of like I have this hope that they'll hear is that do you still have both your parents? Right. And and the one the other kid says, Well, I lost I either lost mine or I wish my dad was in my life. Right. I would give anything to have my dad here. Yeah. Yeah. So. Like you said, it's not something that we can control. I mean, if I could find your kids and go up to them and say, tell me, tell me why. Just why? Talk to your dad. Tell him why. And if it's they don't know why, then there's no reason not to try to talk to you again. Yeah. And, 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 and at this point, I don't care. At this point, I don't care what happened. At this point, I don't care. At this point, I don't even need an apology. At this point, I don't need any type of explanation. If you were just to have called me or texted me out of the blue, I would respond immediately. I would, I would, I would do whatever it was I needed to do. I would drop whatever I'm doing to go find you, pick you up, meet you somewhere. Are you sure they still have the same cell phone numbers? Oh, I, I I never I never had their cell phone. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I would I would only contact them through their mother's cell phone. Oh, so when you asked if they had received the money, the reply was yes, thanks, and it could have been yeah. from it was from her. Could have been. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Been. And again, I'm not I'm not saying this stuff, and I'm not coming on here to to say anything negative about their family, their their right. environment over there. Just. That's why I didn't want to say too many details about what's going on, you know, specific details of them and I and as far as names. And uh, it's just things that I've experienced that I hope nobody else does. Or if they do, they understand that you've got to get to a point to where you do all you can do. And and, and I don't say, like some people will say the excuse of, well, yeah, I do everything I can do. and yet they are doing nothing. They're not doing nothing or, or yeah. they're or they're gambling addicts or they're doing negative things that they could not do and 
still take care of the kids or still be around their kids or spend time with their kids or be a, be a part of their kid's life. But because that, that does happen too. But do you have like a Facebook page that's public so they could find you if they wanted to? Yeah, I do. And I even <laughs> about, about two years ago, I don't know why I never thought of it, but about two years ago, something on Facebook popped up and I was like, you know what? They probably have a Facebook page. And so I looked them up and I reached out to them through that. And then I got blocked. <laughs> oh, Because the next time I tried to look for them, I couldn't find them anymore. That's so heartbreaking. <laughs> yeah. But you know, it was to me, it was just like, I even, told myself as soon as I do this I'm getting blocked <laughs> yeah so it's not like it was a shock or it's not like it was a surprise it was I knew <laughs> yeah well knew. You, that was a risk you were willing to take yeah but you know it's just one of those things where I just wanted to reach out again but so in in all of this like I said I just I just like to share that is that the fact that one I'd hope that people would hear this and and look at the side that I, I tried to explain earlier of it's not about you and your ex anymore. It's about your kids. Right. So whatever it was about you and your ex, put that aside, you know, cause do you want your kids to have issues later in life? Because that's all you're going to do. That's all you're creating. You're just creating things for them to have issues later in life. Right. Uh, as they say that, that cycle. And I saw something one time where a man would still cut the grass at the house that he left his wife, he would go over there and cut the grass because the grass needed to be cut. Yeah. I saw that on Facebook. Did you see that? And this guy's like, well, why? He's like, because it needs to get done and your mom can't do it. And I'm just doing it to help her out. And it's almost like why, because you get divorced, do you have to be bitter or ugly to one another Mm -hmm. when the reason for the divorce was, so that we would be apart and not live together because we can't get along or because either you cheated on me or because of whatever it may be. Right. But why do you have to continue to be ugly to one another and affect the kids? Right. That makes no sense to me. No. Because the divorce is the final for you and the spouse. Right. That's what divorce is. That's us apart. That's our end. Mm-hmm. why does it have to be that way for the kids? Because that's what you're doing. Right. And so the more that people would look at it that way, I think the better relationship that everybody could have, mother, father, kids, both sides of the coin. There's a few people that I know that, uh, even a couple of family members that, even though they got divorced and the kids lived with the mother that it got to the point to where as kids got older, dad would come over for parties because the kids, 18, 20, 22. Now the kid has grandkids. Mm -hmm. So for different events, the dad comes over with his new wife and the mom has a new husband and everybody gets along. Yeah. And that's great when that can happen. And it, yeah, and, and 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 the only reason it doesn't is because of 
your your own pride and you can't get over something you keep bringing up the past you keep dragging trash with you you just you, the, the garbage and the baggage from the past you keep bringing with you and you just won't let it go right your disgust or disdain or hate for that person can overshadow the love for your child yeah and that's just horrible yeah and so that's kind of the thing that I that I wanted to just mainly share this about is that I was one that I could honestly say I tried my best to do everything possible when I had my kids with my kids and even when when my relationship was good and even building my relationship with them from scratch again after the divorce mm-hmm. and one of those things of you always try to have to try to show up. You always have to try to let your kids know that you're, you want to be a part of their life. And, and obviously there's always going to be instances where dad's violent, dad's an alcoholic, dad drinks too much, or dad's just whatever it may be in right. negative forms that, 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 that doesn't work at times. But right. I think for the most part, too many people argue and allow their hate for, like you said, hate for one another to overshadow the love for your kid and the way that you should be with your kid and for your kid so that your kids don't have a cycle of the same thing that you're going through. Right. And, and on top of that, just that no matter what we go through with our faith in God and putting God first and everything, he will provide, he will provide what you need. He will provide the peace that you need. He will give you the hope and the the solid ground and the rock to stand on to continue to move on. And I I truly, I take my story to that level because I truly want people to understand also if they hear this, that no matter what you go through, there's always a resolution to what you're going through. It might be not be instant. It might not be today. It might not be tomorrow, but ending your life ain't it. That's right. Well, I cannot thank you enough for sharing your story with us because people need to hear this. Number one, people need to hear that there is hope and don't give up. Mm -hmm. And then also the people that are contributing to the negativity of thoughts that go into their kids' heads about the ex or the parental alienation, those that are contributing and causing the parental alienation, hopefully at least one person will hear this and say, you know what? I can't do this to my ex and I can't do this to my kids. They deserve better. Yeah. I really, really, really hope that one day you reach back out to me sooner rather than later and tell me that you've talked to your kids. Yeah, so do I. And I have hope that that'll happen. And I know you do too. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh it's like I said, it's just, you know, having having faith in God and giving it to him and putting it in his hands that it will change. It will change for the better. And like I said, I don't I don't at this point in time, I don't need an explanation. I don't need I don't need an apology. I don't need anything but them back in my life. Right. And, and, and allowing me to be part of theirs as well. Well, you might not need an explanation, but I do. 
(laughs) (laughs) I need to know why, because it makes no sense. I know. And I mean, I get it. I'm sure if I was in your situation, it would be, I wouldn't care why either. Just come back. Just talk to me. Just let's start over. We don't even have to talk about what happened. Let's start fresh. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you again for sharing your story. Gus, I know this was not easy for you. (laughs) It's getting easier because I've, uh, I've, I've shared it with a few people here and there and it's uh this is i think the the least i've broken down uh while 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 sharing but uh you know it's uh it's one of those things that as i get closer to god that i start to understand and realize that we have to share our testimonies and and share the things that we've gone through the good and the bad and even more so the bad to allow people to understand what God can do for you, what he can do in your life and how he can change your life and believing in him and putting things in, in his hands takes the weight off of your shoulders. Yeah. Well, thank you again. And please, please reach out to me. I don't care if it's next week or five years, 10 years, 20 years from now, let me know when you talk to your girls, because I do believe it's going to happen. I will. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, folks. We hope you got some insight on this podcast about parental alienation. It is definitely something that needs to be addressed in the family court system. And it needs to be taken seriously. And realize that alienating your kids from a healthy bioparent relationship mm-hmm. can backfire on you. All right. <laughs> that's all we're going to say since David See, took still you know, 30 minutes me. in the beginning. All right, folks, that's our show for today. Join us next week if uh, Lori hasn't left me by then. And we <laughs> remember that life is good. When you nacho, and I'm getting ready to nacho David. <laughs> awesome. See, I'm just a teacher for you. Bye-bye, David. I'm the seafood. Whatever that means, I got to go. (laughs) Thanks for listening to this episode of the Nacho Kids podcast. Find us online at nachokids.com. Until next time, remember, life is good when you nacho.